Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 19, Sarah Hannah Radcliffe, Psychologist and Author. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. Welcome back. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Ladies, today we discuss a topic that is near and dear to most of us, marriage and parenting. We can never learn enough about it. In fact, we should be constantly learning about it because as my guest today will tell you, both marriage and parenting require work. I have Sarah Hanna Radcliffe on the show. Sarah Hanna is a foremost expert on the topic of marriage and parenting. She's a psychologist in private practice and the author of the much acclaimed parenting books, Raise Your Kids Without Raising Your Voice and The Fear Fix. In addition, she has published six other books on Jewish family life and emotional well-being, including her latest work, Make Yourself at Home, which we discussed today. Sarah Hanna is a weekly columnist for the Family First section of the internationally distributed Mishpacha magazine and a regular contributor to the parenting pages of Chabad.org. She conducts online webinars for Jewish workshops and writes and presents on topics relating to relationships, parenting, and stress management, both locally and internationally. I have been a big fan of Sarah Hanna's work for a number of years now, and I'm thrilled to have her here today. She is so knowledgeable, so real and practical. Plus, her foundation and knowledge of Torah comes through her work, which makes it all the more special. She's extremely prolific in her work and is a constant resource of great information. In fact, you can go to dailyparentingposts.com to receive her parenting, family, life, and emotional well-being tips right into your inbox four times a week. Sarah Hanna and I talk about family life as an opportunity for personal growth. We discuss the difference between popular culture's concept of marriage and Jewish marriage. And what is the number one thing that we can all be doing right now to nourish and strengthen the romantic relationship with our spouses? And it's not that hard and it could actually be fun. So listen to that. Sarah Hanna walks us through good feeling communication. What is it and how do we achieve it and the optimal ratios of positive to negative interactions with our spouses and children. And you'd be surprised to hear why Sarah Hanna is not a fan of the Jewish concept of nachas. This and much more in this insightful conversation with Sarah Hanna Radcliffe. Sarah Radcliffe, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. I have been following your work for a while. I've read your books. Actually, I've read many years ago, a couple years ago, I raced, I read Race Your Kids Without Racing Your Voice. Yes. And, um, and now I'm working through your latest work, Make Yourself at Home, and I've been following your Facebook posts for a while, which are so, so practical and like just... Sometimes they just come in at the right, perfect time. It's like sent from, from a show. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what they all say, you know? <laughs> really? It's, am- it's yes. really unbelievable. So keep them going. But we'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. I just want to start with your latest book, Make Yourself at Home, Family Life as a Key to Personal Growth. Super insightful, profound, and practical. And it's, 
I guess it's based on a premise that we can and we should approach marriage, parenting, family life as opportunities for personal growth. So why don't we start with that concept? What does that mean exactly? And maybe give us some examples of how or where we find those opportunities right within our home family life. Well, we find them practically every moment at home, dealing with Mm. our children and with our spouse. Um, You know, if we're living all alone by ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, we're not provoked that often. You know, like, (laughs) well, we go to the mirror, we we might be provoked a little bit, like something staring back at us that's uh, accusing us. But, you know, the at home people, real live people um, have something to say about our behavior. Um, They have demands that they make on us. And uh, if we don't want to suffer... Um, then we really have to figure out good ways to respond to people. Uh, we have to f- search for ways that will lead to peace. Um, we have to develop or we will be hurting all the time. So um, really uh, developing and growing through parenting and through marriage is the name of the game at home. Like it's the most growth-provoking place to be. Amazing. And I guess, I guess, I guess that's why the Torah... Um, I mean, that's why marriage is such a, an important thing. I guess you don't really become, I mean, in a way, you, you become, uh, you fulfill your greatest potential when you're in these intricate relationships of, of, of home, of marriage and kids and, you know, parenting. Um, it's and a, and a lot goes on there. Like, there's not just um, the daily interactions and the daily communications that need to be, you know, handled skillfully and with maturity and, you know, we get wiser over time. Uh-huh. But there's also huge issues that go on, um, you know, um, real challenges in parenting that tax your soul, really, as you, you know, raise a child who's not um, simple, let's say, you know, a child who's who brings a lot of pain to the table, a lot of challenge to the table, or as you live with a spouse who is um, very complicated, very difficult, very challenging, where you have to really reach deep, deep inside to survive the whole journey. And... Um, all sorts of um, traumatic things, which there is something called traumatic growth. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing that we choose, and we don't want uh-huh. any difficulty in parenting or in marriage. But it can sometimes land on our laps, and um, and again, it forces this uh, what they call post-traumatic growth uh, cycle in us, where we do become wiser and more developed um, as a result of the struggles we encounter. Like a lot of people want to just like ditch those struggles and find something easier. Um, which is understandable, but sometimes we can't ditch them because it's a child who we just can't toss or it's a complicated marriage situation that we can't easily just, you know, extricate ourselves from and we have to work things through. Um, and that, again, um, can make us a, a much better version of ourselves in the end, even though mm-hmm. this isn't always fun let's say it's not always fun right no. right <laughs> and a lot of it i'll ask you isn't a lot of it being able to go within ourselves and seeing what kind of tapes or what kind of recording we have in our head from the way we grew up from the marriage we observed from the relationship we have with our parents and how things that are thrown at us via communication with our spouse or our kids we play them according to that recording and we decode it based on that. And I think there's so much of that going on in our relationship and we have to have an ability to say, one minute, I'm reacting like this because I'm reading into it this way just because the way I'm wired. Is that, does that make sense? I mean, that's how it starts out. You know, uh-huh. we, we bring our childhood into the current uh, situation in our marriage, but 
um, and in parenting too. You know, uh, for example, we might have been um, a little kid who suffered a fair amount of bullying or rejection or, or we were chubby or who knows what went wrong with us, you know, and then we deal with a child who has similar issues and all of a sudden we can't handle it because it's so uh-huh. overwhelming based on our past, right? Um, so it starts off with where we, um, whatever we got in childhood, but then it's going to have to change. And it's not as simple as just going like, oh yeah, it's an old pattern. Like, <laughs> you know, that would be great if we, if we could just recognize it like that. But usually we're thrown against the wall uh-huh. and, we're crack- and we're cracked open sort of, and then we, you know, are forced to change those patterns. Right, right, right. Well, you mentioned marriage. So let's talk about marriage because Mm-hmm. The Jewish concept of marriage, the institution of marriage, is quite different from that presented by popular culture. And as you note in the book, um, the popular views of marriage have influenced our own perception of this journey we're embarking on, which, like you mentioned before, it takes work when we unite in a marriage. It's going to imply a lot of work. So tell us about that and perhaps define for us what is marriage well, it's so interesting um, because you're correct. The Jewish view is not aligned with the secular view of marriage. Mm-hmm. In the secular view, let's just say that it's about two people falling in love and um, and having uh, sort of moving off into the sunset together uh, with great ambitions. Um, but it's very hard to live with people. <laughs> so those great ambitions are, are challenged early, and the uh, research shows that the in love feeling. Uh, has an average shelf life of about 18 months, so give or take a little bit, okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, you're into the in-hate kind of, uh, the, they call it the struggle part of relationships. And okay. in our culture, um, in the secular culture, which believes that the in-love feeling is the foundation um, and the be-all and end-all with marriage, uh-huh. um, when it fades off, we have to really find somebody else to be in love with. So we have cyclical marriages. Um, you know, Second marriages have higher divorce rates than first ones, and third marriages have higher divorce rates than second ones. And the first one has a pretty high divorce rate still, um, you know, around hovering for decades now, around 50%. Um, so that's that's the secular view. Now the Jewish view um, is that in love is uh, a gift from from Hashem in the beginning of mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of our lives, and um, and then it um, it is not expected to stay around. It is actually expected to return at an even higher level once we do the real work of marriage, uh-huh. but. Yes, so there will be the struggle is kind of what's expected, um, but the view of the marriage is that it's much more than in love. It's about building a home within the community, and providing um, safety, security, and a trustworthy relationship within that um, within that home, so that there are homes within the community of. Israel, let's say, there's a home, there's homes that support each other, and our children are raised in these secure environments where they can count on growing up in one place with two parents, and each parent is seen as bringing um, necessary qualities of spiritual nature to eat to the child. We need a man and we need a woman for the successful raising of a child, and that has the whole thing has to happen within the home, and the home has to be stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a commitment not just to this person, like I love you, so I'll hang out with you, but it's a commitment to the to the children that once you bring these children to the world, that you will do everything possible to raise them in that home. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment to the community. It's a commitment to God. It's considered holy. It's sanctified, and it's meant to be 
lifelong, which is a very different view nowadays. It's not just about how good this feels in the moment. It's about this project you're undertaking. Now, Judaism, of course, allows for divorce when the project is doomed to fail. But right. we don't consider our marriages doomed to fail at a 50% rate. Okay, We, we consider that there are um, extenuating circumstances that cause um, so much pain that nobody's expected to live with it. So there are a few things that, you know, I, Jewish law mentions, like off the bat, for example, abuse is not tolerated. Right. And, um, you know, a lack of intimacy is not tolerated. That's a very considered so important in the unification of um, men and women, husbands and wives, and intimacy. Um, and um, I forget, adultery, whatever. There's, you know, there's certain things that just will break the marriage. Right. But, um, but we are supposed to have the skills and the mindset and the ambition to, um, to really work those through until we feel like it can't be done. Okay. And then, yeah, we're not, um, we're not saying it can't, that divorce is not possible. It is possible. And mm-hmm. probably there would be like, um, would it be a 5% rate or something if we, if we, you know, like a, if we weren't influenced by the world around us, the rate of divorce would be very small. Very small. But it, mm-hmm. yes. So, so if we, it's, it's talking about a, a, a marriage that doesn't fall under that extreme category and a marriage where we have the, 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 the ambition to make it work and we want to create that stable environment um, for our children and, 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 and feel that we're in a stable relationship. What are th- some things that, some tips that we, the th- of things that we could start putting into practice right away to nourish that relationship? Because at the end of the day, I mean, we, we, you, like you said, we fell and we, we wanted to marry this person. There was some attraction there going. How do we keep that going? What can we do to strengthen that relationship? Okay, so even though we don't believe that romantic love will stay at the pitch that brought us together, or mm-hmm. you know, the passion, the excitement, the hopefulness, and all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, we do believe that it must be nurtured for 120 years. So, um, as soon as we stop treating the relationship as if it has this romantic, or um, what do you call it? Um, what's the word we used? In love, in love in feeling. Love. Right. Yeah, then it won't have it. Okay, so, um, uh-huh. date night, date night is something that if you don't have that, it's going to be replaced by, you know, therapy afternoon kind of thing, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a, a more pleasant way to keep things going is to make sure that date night is always a feature within the marriage, even if it has to be at home, private time, um, you know, with your spouse, quality time, that's an island of time where it's as if you are young and have no responsibilities. Those 10 children don't exist. The money problems don't exist. The right. in-laws don't exist, you know. And in this time, you're going to chill together. You're going to have fun together. You're going to relax together. You're going to have a hobby together. You're going to laugh together. And that must happen at least once a week for at least an hour, but preferably two if you can manage it, you know. And if you are if you have the luxury of it, because at different stages in the marriage, we have more time and less time so when there's lots of little kids around and you can't get out for three hours so it's okay to have one hour but don't make sure don't don't let yourself have no hours where the relationship is nothing but business you know pick up the kid from carpool you know um, you know go to the bank and do this errand go do this you know like if it's nothing but errands responsibilities and duties well our hearts are not fulfilled anymore and it's quite a risk to the marriage. You know, it, there has to be this constant warmth and um, nurturing. And of course, um, Jewish marital laws try to foster that too by keeping 
attraction alive and the laws of uh, what they call family purity to her mm-hmm. but but those things could put quite a strain on the marriage actually so um, even though they're supposed to keep it alive by keeping the attraction alive which does that that part maybe works um, if the couple has not got the right things going in between they can still end up having a miserable marriage <laughs> so I you agree. need more than that yeah you you know um, I think investing in um, marriage skills is just as important, maybe more important than investing in parenting skills because if there's no home in which to raise the children, then um, being a so-called great parent is your, your ability to help your children be healthy and happy and well-developed is severely limited by divorce. And that, unfortunately, they've been trying to find how that is not true for the past 40, 50 years while the divorce rate has been you know, high, they try to do research to show, you know, children be just fine as long as the parents are happy and they're not fighting. You know, this is a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and they haven't been able to find any evidence of that. In fact, it's just a matter of whether there will be a little damage, a medium amount of damage or a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. But it's always going to be, unfortunately, for the children. And sometimes this is God's plan for a particular child to be living, you know, Hashem puts children into homes that are abusive, that are troubled, that are right. whatever. Yes, well, we know that there's suffering in the world, right? And mm-hmm. and the parents must do their best to get their children out of those situations, and that's where that 5% comes from. But, right. you know, in our normal homes, um, children do best in homes that where the parents are happy together. And then children do actually quite well in homes where the, where the parents only have a business-like relationship. This is a research study showed this. Um, and then parents, uh, children do okay in homes where there's a fair amount of constant squabbling around. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, you know, they're doing a little bit less well when um, there's a lot of actual scary fighting around, a scary in the terms of emotional threat, like people calling each other names or using bad communication to, you know, techniques. But they do less well in divorce, and they do less well in, than divorce. They do less well in violent, physically frightening environments, right? So the only thing actually worse for children than divorce is an unsafe environment. Right. But, but people have the illusion that children would be happy if the parents are happy. That's not, that's not true at all. Children need, need to live their own lives. They don't care so much about your personal happiness. They need a secure bed to get into every night, you know, and right. then to know that you're taking care of them. So we need to do um, marriage skills first, you know, and then there's a million parenting courses around, but we need marriage courses to improve our skill sets so that we can have conversations with our spouse about topics that are provocative or that scare us, that make us feel uncomfortable um, or that make us angry and have conversations that don't unravel the love that we have between us. We need to have skills for that. And, um, you know, uh, I, I myself give lots of courses like that. I'm doing one right now for Jewish workshops, um, which people can find about. I, did, I don't even know if I mentioned it to you before, jewishworkshops.com. Okay. So there's, like, yeah, there's uh, marriage skills. But marriage skills uh, and date night, the combination of those two things will get us on the right track. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's extremely important. In fact, I... Um, I, I think it's you have to put, you have to be disciplined to just put it in your schedule. I have a good friend who says that um, after Shabbat, her husband they they just go out like they've always had 
for the entire 10 years of their marriage, they've always had a babysitter booked. That's just like the way, you know, and, and, and even if it's you, you, you do a lunch date, you know, even if you don't want to hire a babysitter, but you want to meet in the middle of the day, you just have to m- make a system that works for you so that you could have some quality time to just like you said before, have fun, talk about other things. Even often we fall into the trap of starting to talk about our kids, but really I think when the purpose would be just to talk about other things that are not our kids, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I said, like teenagers who don't have kids, don't have in-laws, don't have money problems, don't have anything, right? right. Go out, go to the bookstore and wander around and talk about interesting topics, you know? Right, right, right. Yes. And this would not be our money date either. It would not be about talking about the budget and whatever, right? So That's, No, it's not. <laughs> date, date, date night is relationship night. So we yes. do need other times to talk yes. about the business of marriage and talk about the problems that we need to face. Exactly. But that's date night is not that time for exactly. sure. Exactly. And I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that it even if you're following the framework of the loss of family purity and that system does definitely help it. it it doesn't preclude us from the, having the need of that time to actually date our spouses. Um, exactly. I think, I think you're, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So in the event, um, you know, we talk about the extremes where, um, you know, there are some extremes, but um, you really stir us into, you know, not, you know, not trying to go the divorce road route, go, God, God forbid. And you have like some humorous take on counseling over in your book that I enjoyed because, <laughs> because you're a therapist. So you're talking from the inside, but you mentioned how, it, you know, it's almost funny to see how you mentioned how let's look at how counseling works or rather why it can work in many, many cases. Can you tell us about that? About why counseling works? Yes. And you mentioned about, you know, you start opening up to things that you would never tell to a stranger and then they start looking ridiculous even to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So it's that outside eye on us. Like in our homes, we feel like we're private, although... um, Judaism tells us that the camera is always on, actually, yes. and yet everything is being recorded, and it will be played back to us when we leave our bodies, and that's a pretty scary idea there. Mm-hmm. But um, but when we take ourselves into a therapist's office, we get a little taste of that because um, now we're relaying a conversation, and our spouse is describing our behavior, and we're being exposed. So um, we do, like you said, sound ridiculous to ourselves after or we start shaping up just because of the fact that a normal-looking adult, I'm not saying the therapist is normal or not, but they look normal, they're dressed okay, and, um, you know, you're, you're um, being talked about in front of you about things that you are doing that are, that when you hear them through the eyes of this other person, through the ears of the other person or whatever, you know, in the presence of this other normal party, they're embarrassing, you know, and you, and you want to shape yourself up. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we don't. <laughs> so, um, but when we're alone in our home and there's no third party who knows what's really going on, um, then yes, our children are absorbing our dysfunctional patterns. That's, you know, a disadvantage for them because they're not getting the right skill set. Right. Uh, and, um, and we think that we can get away with anything. You know, we can say anything and do anything in the privacy of our homes and, um, so we relax into kind of an, um, sometimes, uh, the most atrocious behavior, like all of us, you know, like, um, when we get hurt, we don't show our best side and we think we're, we're not being watched. So we <laughs> descend into whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's two nice people who were certainly nice before they got married, but what's happening is they're, 
they're feeling um, vulnerable to each other. They're hurt. And that's what brings out this, like, <laughs> you know, really bad behavior. Or some people um, are just irresponsible and badly behaved in marriage. They think like, okay, well, now that we're married, I don't have to try anything anymore. I don't have mm. to dress up for you. I don't have to fulfill any of the responsibilities that I said I might fulfill. I don't have to, I can fly around. I can leave a mess around here and nobody can stop me because my mother and father aren't here anymore. So now I'm a free adult to behave the way I want. And, um, that always brings a marriage down as well. Um, one of the things I, I have in this marriage course, and also in the book you've got there, Make Yourself at Home, mm-hmm. is this marriage marriage quiz about how um, what your marriage skills actually are like and an invitation to rate yourself on in 10 different areas and uh, to rate your partner and have your partner rate you. And um, you also rate what you think your partner is going to rate you. And then you have this long discussion with each other. And it can be quite eye-opening before you get to the therapist, actually. So well, you can just... Great. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So, Hana, you, you, we've mentioned in your work this method that I, that you coined the clear method. Can you tell listeners about what the clear method is? What does it do? Yes. Um, the clear method stands for the, the letters C, L, and, um, R, which are three good feeling interventions. Now, I kind of divide the world into two kinds of communications that we have with mm-hmm. our spouse or with our kids, either ones that feel good or ones that don't feel good. I don't believe there's any neutral when it comes uh-huh. to, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing. It's always slightly good or slightly bad or really good or really bad, but there's nothing neutral between human beings. So okay. uh, if you're smiling at somebody, it's going to feel, you know, usually pretty good. But if it's a horrible fake smile, that can feel pretty bad. Well, anyway, so it's, it's a clear positive method. positive and negative. Yeah. It's it's one or the other. The way you're, the way you feel in the presence of somebody else okay uh-huh. so this is this is the way you make your spouse feel or mm-hmm. the way in the case of marriage if we're using the clear method in marriage um it's your actual impact on your spouse you actually let's say it's a woman um communicating to her spouse and her communication leaves him feeling um good or it leaves him feeling bad so now in the clear method we're using three forms of good feeling communication meaning these things would normally make somebody feel good okay, okay. um C is for comment, it is what you say to the person, L is for label, it's another kind of thing that you say, and R is for reward, which is usually something that you might do or give. Um, so the way we try to get people to do things, um, we try to influence their behavior, we try to correct or change their behavior, usually uses bad feeling techniques. And oh, one of them, it does yeah, usually? <laughs> usually does, okay. Um, there's, well... One thing that feels bad, and it's in the slightly bad category, is um, instructions. Okay. Uh-huh. Because now, and the reason the reason we know why that feels bad is if Take you could imagine. Trash. <laughs> yeah, but even if you do, honey, would you mind taking out the trash? If you could imagine that this was the only communication that you had in the marriage, and it was, honey, could you take out the trash? Sweetie, would you mind picking up the shirts at the cleaners? Darling, would you mind sweeping the floor? Honey, could you please just take your tape, you know, cup off the table, etc. We go like this all the time. Wow. How would the person feel? Even though right. you're speaking so sweetly, it's like, what is, where's the relationship? Where's the connection? Where's the right. affection? Everything, it's awful, okay? So now we say instructions are only... Um, minorly bad. I mean, I, I, in my little imaginary world, I, I say that a nicely spoken instruction knocks out 20 good feeling things. But as we get more aversive, because let's say honey didn't take out the garbage or didn't pick up the stuff, whatever, we get a little bit annoyed. Like, you know, like I've, I've asked you like three times to fix this drippy tap, like 
like, can you just do it this weekend? And it doesn't do it this weekend. Like, you know what? This, like, I am getting sick of this. Like, how many, and now you're, you're doing a technique which is called nagging, complaining, criticizing. This is what I mean by our favorite techniques for behavior change are uh-huh. all bad, feel, bad feeling ones. They really feel bad to be on the receiving end of it, right? Uh-huh. So repetitive asking and criticizing. And, and if the person doesn't change right away, our techniques usually get worse and worse as we go along because we, mm-hmm. then we start using negative labels like, are you deaf, just stupid or dumb or whatever it is? Like, I, how many times do I have to ask you for this little thing? You know, we start getting loud and sarcastic and, you know, um, very insulting. We use a, lot, a wide range of insulting techniques and hurtful techniques, and that's where we begin to undo love. You know, it's very dangerous. Now, there is a better way to get uh, a spouse to do something, and that is the clear method, as you're um, wanting to know about. If, let's say, you've asked your spouse to change the light bulb, um, or let's say you've asked your spouse to, um, yeah, let's say change the light bulb, just for example, okay? And... Um, You've asked once and it hasn't happened. You've asked twice and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, what you can do is get the light bulb and bring it to your spouse who happens to be standing right under the lamp that needs to be, you know, fixed. And you, and you're saying, so you're setting up a situation in which you can use the three steps, comment, label, and reward. Um, which I'll explain how in a minute, but I just want to say one more thing about labeling. Um, the rule in family life altogether is that no negative labels or words that act like labels should ever be used, no matter how accurate they are. Okay. So it could be that some spouse doesn't know how to share, uh, doesn't know how to show love, but we would never say something like, you don't know how to show love. Because we're having a hypnotic effect on our partners and certainly on our children whose brains are in a hypnotic uh, frame wave. Um, for brainwave actually for the first 12 years so when we say things to children like you know you're being selfish or don't be mean these labels um are always affecting the child very deeply and it doesn't matter um doesn't matter what grammatical form you put them in like saying you know you're being mean don't be mean that was mean what you're doing is mean. It doesn't matter how that word gets snuck into a sentence, okay? If it's in the sentence, it penetrates the person's psyche rather deeply. So spouses do this to each other as well. You're just being selfish. You know, you are selfish. Don't be so selfish. Um, so this use of labels, again, the grammar doesn't matter. The words should never appear, no matter how true they are, okay? Because they're very insulting, they're very hurtful, and they're very hypnotic, meaning you're going to get more of that behavior if you start using these words. So labels can be used when they're positive. So instead of telling a child, don't be mean, um, we tell the child, you need to be kind. Mm -hmm. And instead of telling a spouse, you're so selfish, we can tell a spouse, um, you know, I want you to think of me or I want you to, you know, be more generous. It would be always the opposite of the word that you want to use, okay? So, um, and even if you do say it that way, it's still... um, you know, I want you, you know, I want you to think of me more often, you know, um, that's still a correction or a criticism. So it's still going to knock out 20 of your positives. But once you start saying you're such a selfish pig, <laughs> you know, whatever, right. you know, then you're knocking out thousands of your positive efforts. Like, and people want to know, after all I do for you, how can you be not in love with me? I mean, I, I make cakes for you and I drive across town for you and I call your mother for you and I do this for you and do that for you. But it takes one insult to undo all of all that. that right. Yes. Okay. So we want to stay away from the negative labels. So we got, we're standing under the, the light bulb thing, mm-hmm. the light bulb in our hand, 
And we're trying to get this guy to change the light bulb for us. Although, believe me, we can change the light bulbs ourselves. But let's just say there's some reason why we want to do this. Okay, so um, so we hand the light bulb to the husband and say, oh, would it be a convenient moment for you to change this right now? And keep in mind, he's standing right under the fixture, right? So he says, sure. And he gets on the stool. Now we use comment label reward, which is our investment in the future. So we've handed it to him and we make a comment, which is either an appreciation or a thank, like a thank you thing or um, an acknowledgement or a praise. So it would sound like, oh, thank you so much, sweetie. It's so helpful. Oh, actually, thank you so much, sweetie, would be the comment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the label here would be, that's so helpful of you. Mm-hmm. Or that's so kind of you. Or, you know, it's, it's some, it's any positive label, um, character attribute, helpful or kind or good ones here. Um, so it's thank you so much, honey. I really appreciate it. That's your comment. It's so helpful of you. That's your label. Reward when he gets off his ladder and gets back down. Hug, hug, kiss, kiss, or whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. Can I make you a cup of tea, honey? I was just making myself one. Or um, like you suddenly remember something that um, he wanted that you picked up, and he wasn't going to get it until he changed that light bulb. So you go, say, oh, you know what? That thing you asked me to get downtown, I got it for you, and I forgot to give it to you. And you coincidentally hand it to him. You know, and what you've done to the brain is you've wired in this helpful behavior for the future. Um, you know, giving this lecture about how lazy and selfish you are and why you don't help around here and so on, that destroys everything, destroys the relationship and also the, the potential for positive behavioral change. Whereas the clear method will always get you more of the good behavior you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Right, because you rewire the person's brain and so the yes. next time around... Um, when, you, when you say, could you change the light bulb, the brain remembers this pleasant experience and right. goes up, you know, right away, and then you rewire it again. Right. Okay? And it works the same way with children, obviously, Absol- right? Absolutely. It's the best technique that we have. I'm putting a little ebook out on this soon. Um, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And then you also have um, a, a ratio that is, I, I find it very helpful, the 80-20 ratio, and I think it changes with teens. Tell us about the ratio of the positive to negative interactions throughout our days. It's, it's actually again a communication um, ratio, meaning mm-hmm. how we're how we're impacting on the other person. So, yeah, um, because negativity is so powerful. Uh, like I said, an instruction, even nicely spoken, can undo twenty um, positives, right? So you can't. It's it's really this positive, negative, like good feeling, bad feeling. Um, how good feeling you are to your partner, how bad feeling you are to your partner, so or to your child. So in childhood, for kids under 12, um, when you when it feels great to be around you because you are laughing and smiling and joking and hugging and kissing and handing out treats and doing helpful things and you're just like it's just wonderful being near you. Right. Um, so that makes the child want to please you, want to emulate you, want to not disappoint you, and it becomes much easier to raise that child because they really care that way. Um, that 80%, you, so it means that 8 out of 10 of your communications do feel good for the child to be around. Okay, they want, they are enjoying being around you. Now, children under the age of 12 need a lot of correction. They need, they need a fair amount of instructions. They need a lot of um, guidance, discipline, boundaries, and so on. So we do have to say things like no, and you have to go to bed, and please do your homework. Um, but again, if that was our entire relationship, well, what would that relationship actually feel like? And as we're, you know, as our ratio of not good feeling communications goes up, the child's desire to please us, to not disappoint us, to cooperate with us, 
uh, and to emulate us goes down. So to the point where when the child hates you, let's say, um, which some kids, you know, get a very strong dislike of their parents and some mm-hmm. teenagers actually hate them. Then the child wants to be nothing like you and everything you say is turns to garbage in the child's eyes and you have lost all your parenting power, meaning the power to influence and guide your child in the path that you want that child to go with. So this ratio is crucial and it's not 50-50 because the negative stuff far outweighs the positive stuff. One negative comment that you might have, um, you know, you could go out with a girlfriend and have um, three hours that are great over coffee or something and then she makes one little dig and the whole three hours is ruined. One little dig in three hours, you know, yeah. can undo the good feeling of the evening or can destroy the relationship. So since the bad stuff um, has so much power, we want to counterbalance that with having four out of five of our communications feel good, okay, which means what we do, what we look like, what we sound like, what we say, all of that. Now, um, as the kid gets older, they have less tolerance for being told what to do, so that mm-hmm. ratio for teenagers becomes 90-10. And then in marriage, well, we don't want to really have, you know, you ask people, well, how much negativity would you like from your spouse each day? <laughs> and, 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 you know, what do people usually say about that? <laughs> None. Exactly. They say zero, right? So they would like the 100-0 rule, but we're going to give them 95-5 so that their spouse can make requests and set some boundaries, all right? So the ratio gets quite high, but we want to feel better to our spouse than any other person. Keep in mind that Absolutely. our partner might yeah, be out there in the world working where, you know, women are meeting um, men at men, work, right. women at work, and everybody's so pleasant and they're joking and they're admiring each other and they're doing everything that's in the good-feeling category um, you know, all day long. So then you come home to somebody who has a list of instructions, complaints, criticisms, and is miserable, you know, <laughs> how's that supposed to work, you know? Right. Wow. Wow. So powerful. And, you know, when I think it's, I, I, when you were saying it, it reminded me that all the more so when we're trying to raise children in the, in the path of Torah mitzvot, where, you know, it does require, I guess, even a more instructing and more that kind of relationship. And we have to be very, very cognizant of how positive are we making the the interactions when it comes to educating them in that path. And um, I just find that that's just very important if we really want them to follow, like you said, you know, if they don't want to, they don't want to emulate us, then well, we lost we lost that one there. And that's it, you know, that, that's exactly right. And when a parent is very like emphasizing strictness rules, and so on, and is not giving enough of that positive stuff, the child can reject the parent and the religion together, which exactly. is a really bad thing. It's, it's yeah. lumped together. Yes, exactly. It's lumped together. And, uh, you know, when we talked, you talked about labeling such an important Jewish concept, the power of words and how we have to be so careful with our words. And we see it right here in practice in our homes. Um, um, So and now that we talked about educating kids in Torah mitzvahs, and you reminded me that sometimes we in parenting, we come in the situation into the situation where we're not unified. It could be either in our approach to, um, you know, enforce certain observances or in just in discipline and educating and, you know, that having that unified voice, that could be really challenging. Why is it so important to 
be on the same page or even if we're not on the same page to kind of go along with what the other spouse is doing. And if you have to take it to a separate room and then talk about it later, then just, you know, do that. But like, just at least be a unified front in front of the children. Can you address that? Uh, yeah, I mean, two people, husband and wife, whatever, are different, are different and they won't be um, completely unified, but they can support each other unless there's some big reason not to. So for if you if you see your spouse abusing your child, and I don't mean doing poor parenting, because everybody does poor parenting on a day when they're tired, um, overwhelmed, stressed. Everybody does poor parenting, meaning you're getting a little snappy. You're not saying you're not using the best intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to let that pass in our spouses, and and like you say, talk about that privately, um, you know, maybe we need a parenting course, maybe we need some stress reduction tools, maybe we need this, maybe we need that, but that's a private conversation. You can let the, the poor parenting moment pass. But when you see your, your spouse beating up your kid, you can't let that pass. Well, you have of to, course not. Right. right, okay, so that's the time to contradict your partner. Uh, as parenting is happening, if your spouse is abusing the child uh, physically, then you must um, intervene. However, when we, you know, some people use the word abuse very loosely and say that all poor parenting is a form of emotional or verbal abuse, and therefore they feel like they have to intervene. And that intervention um, will cause the child much more harm than letting the um, poor parenting parent continue with the poor parenting rant. Um, uh, because how? How yeah. does that work? Well, um Okay, now again, this is, uh, I want to just differentiate what is verbal abuse that could be, in, or should be, rather, interrupted, okay? So we've, we've ascertained that physical abuse should be interrupted, um, so there will be an apparent conflict between the two parents then, that's just too bad. Mm-hmm. But also verbal abuse where, let's say, the, the parent is swearing at a child or right. calling the child, you know, a terrible, disgusting name right. or whatever. Right, but just poor parenting, meaning the parent is speaking too loudly you snapped you know yeah you Mm -hmm. snapped you said something ridiculous you you, even if you called the kid lazy i'm not i don't mean that kind of language like don't intervene for that because what happens is the child sees that he is the cause of a fight between the parents and on top of everything he feels terribly guilty and helpless and overwhelmed um and hopeless and scared for the security of his home um, you know, so many extra emotions are piled. If he's just dealing with, uh, you know, crazy mother, crazy father, so the kid, you know, the, the <laughs> overexhausted. <kid> <laughs> yes, can handle that just like we can handle and still love our crazy kids when they haven't had enough to eat or sleep or whatever it is, and they go nuts. We don't hate them. We forgive them two minutes later because they're so cute. Um, you know, our children, if we are primarily decent parents, they get over our lapses also if they're not abusive ones. Okay, so. Um, and, of course, you can't just yell at your kid every day and think that that's going to work. You need to improve that, but that's right. a conversation you can have um, between two adults out of that moment. You don't need to rescue the kid in that moment. That's what causes the extra level of harm. Right. Super, super important, super insightful. You mentioned the poor parenting, which, like you said, we've all we've all been there. We are human, and stress reduc- reduction. And um, I find with women it's so important that we – find areas in our lives where we can reduce our level of stress and find those happy places, whether it be your exercise class or painting or writing or opening your own business or I I don't know, whatever it is that fulfills you as a woman. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know, can you can you address that? I just feel very strongly that there has to be a way for us to 
have something that the kids see that you know it's it's just, it's just mo- mommy's space that nourishes her and we come back being better mothers <laughs> i don't know oh, maybe. for sure no for sure I, I like kids to see that that their mother has a life and is not a total servant or slave to them or to the house or to anything you know but that she's enjoying her life that she's happy and providing that model of how one does this how right. one takes care of oneself is very important Super, super, super important. I love it. I love it. And speaking about mothers, we cannot be in a Jewish platform and not talk about the concept of nachas because it's just like ingrained, you know, having nachas for our kids is just ingrained in our culture. It's almost more than, you know, mother's guilt. But it's it, sometimes it could get a little extreme because we, you know, we we invest so much in these children. And, it, uh, you know, to, to, to what extent is it healthy to you know, how, how can we keep it real? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't like nachas as a concept at all, actually. Oh, tell um, us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is how I say it, you know. Um, a child is, um, you know, this gift from Hashem that comes in a package that is um, half formed at least, at least 50%. It could be that it's higher than that. It could be 60 or 75%. I'm not really sure yet um, because I think the science isn't sure yet. But that package is preloaded okay, with genes and with um, information from uh, uh, other sources as well. They started to look at like the preloaded package. The, the, the child is not uh, what they call a tabula rasa, like just a, a blank uh, page that you can write on exactly. So... Um, when we have children, we can have a child who is uh, kind of almost ready-made. You know, they're they're perfect from birth, and they get up and they just sort of dance their way through life, and you just nod and smile, and they turn out great, and they win every prize, and they're, you know, uh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And if you take credit for that, um, you are really ignoring um, the gift that Hashem put to you and to that child in terms of that preloaded package. And you're taking credit for something that is not yours to take credit for. Wow. Um, yeah, the um, child who turns out amazingly had the preloaded package that was good and had environmental supports that Hashem also provided in the terms of uh, experiences, the other parent, friends, um, school experiences, the, the experiences in the community, all kinds of life things went that child's way. And help that child become the amazing person that she might be, you know, when she's 25 years old, accepting this grand award from whoever. Now, at the same time, you could have another kid in the family who got a very bad mix of genes because Hashem wanted that child to have a particular challenge, who then went to school and had a lot of bad experiences there and not able to keep up, um, perhaps bullied, socially rejected, um, who then fell into wrong crowd, bad experiences, went to jail, who knows what, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you were the best parent ever, okay? You were supportive. You used all the great parenting skills. Somebody else might have killed that kid, you know, like you, mm-hmm. you were, a, you were a genius of a parent. And the reason why that kid didn't kill himself was because of you, okay? And, you know, the, um, it humbles a parent to have a child like that. It makes the parent aware that there are real limits to what parenting can do. And we have, that's just why I don't like nachas, okay? Don't wow. take credit for what you didn't do and don't take blame for what you didn't do either. Wow, so, so, so powerful. I'm so glad that you mentioned this. And I guess let's talk a little bit about you, Sarah Khanna, because, um, you know, you're a wife and a mother and you're a professional with a private practice, a writer of multiple books and uh, you have columns and you've definitely mastered the juggling act which is a real (laughs) 
hard thing. Um, give us some tips right from home. What do you do to keep yourself, you know, sane while you're juggling all these balls, having them up in the air? <laughs> well, thank you for assuming I'm sane. I'm not sure you're basing that on. <laughs> you certainly didn't ask anybody at my house, did you? Um, <laughs> but, um, it's easier now because my children are grown up, okay? okay? But, you know, I was, I did have, um, I was doing a lot of what I do even when my children were little. Um, and I can't remember quite how that happened. I think I didn't clean my house that much. You know, something <laughs> has to go really. No, I'm serious. Like something has to go. I remember my house was never particularly tidy. The, the toys were all over the place. And I used to take my kids on a lot of outings and, you know, whatever. They had food and they had clean clothes and, and, and right. they could have, you know, but, uh, but keeping all the toys in the right bin at that time was not important to me. Um, so that, I remember that was one sacrifice I made. Something has to go, right? But, um, now, you know, there's no children except the grandchildren who come and <laughs> that's fine. But the, you know, everything is now orderly in my house because, you know, that's, that's, you know, as much as I want to spend time on that, but you really do have to prioritize because I still am not that interested in, um, let's say cleaning house. Like I hire a cleaning help now, but, um, you know, when the kids were young, I don't even think we could afford that. People didn't used to have as much as they have now and right. uh, whatever. It was just what it was. But I liked to cook and I'd make everything from scratch and I sewed my, and knitted my own diaper coverings and all these things. I was very, you know, mother earthy. But you're picking and you want to pick what makes you feel good and satisfied and happy in your day. And you want to do that all the way through life. So um, I'm very blessed in that I have work that is not work to me. It's my you know, joy and my privilege and my pleasure to be doing what I do all day. And I have hobbies, you know, like I, I crochet and I, you know, I have fun with, I keep learning new things. Learning keeps us very active. I do. Yes, super important. You know, exercise, um, you know, every day of the week, different kinds, restorative yoga, weights, uh, aerobics, whatever, a little bit, you know, I, even if I only have five minutes and even if I only have to do it at midnight, I do do it. I'm serious. I'll, I'll do wow. a full workout at midnight because it keeps me, um, energetic and strong for the day um you know i uh, i love it I yeah i do I, a little bit of everything yeah <laughs> i love it i think we just have to really like you said keep our priorities straight and 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 know what we're willing to sacrifice because exactly. you love what you do you love your career and of course you want to take care of your children but perhaps keeping all the toys tidy is really not it really it's it just has to go period for for somebody that somebody else needs that's their priority exactly but exactly. you know, maybe they're going to give up um, some social life or something. But that that they'll have everyday peace, looking at the beauty of their home, and they won't yep. go out with their friends. And somebody else might say, "No, I need to be around those people. I need to laugh and be social. And I don't care what my house looks like." Like you do, really have to know yourself. You have to not, know yourself. Yeah, don't live according to somebody else's idea of Ooh, what will make you so happy. So important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So important. So tell me, how did how did you end up in in this path, psychology? Was this something that you knew you wanted to do all your life? No, no, no. <laughs> no this, this is a, a complete accident. I never wanted to do this, actually. Um, I was studying uh, to be a speech therapist when I was um, in high school. I was trying to think what kind of career I would do, and I thought speech therapy would be great. So I volunteered in the aphasia ward of a hospital for a year uh -huh. and discovered that I hated every element of that. And um, <laughs> so, But I had already sort of put myself into a program at university by that point of um, – psycholinguistics, which is a study of language and psychology, and my interest was in language, and that morphed into reading, and I moved into, um, I moved away from um, 
speech therapy into an interest in the psychology of reading, <laughs> reading and, oh. and writing. And I was doing all these things for a long time, but that took me to a learning disabilities clinic where I was doing a practicum. And in the learning disabilities clinic, um, I was focusing on reading disorders and stuff, but they had a parenting group going and I was asked to, um, uh, sit in on that parenting group. And this went on for years, like to assist with that. Were you a and mother so I, already at the time? No, I didn't oh. have any kids. And okay. all the parents used to say, wait, do you have kids? Wait, do you have kids? Okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we're fine. So, um, and then, um, and then I was running that clinic for a while. Um, and it had a lot of different kinds of specialties for kids who, at the time, learning disabilities was um, a popular name for what we might call other things these days. But uh, this is a long, long time ago, the 1970s and, you know, whatever. I can't remember, maybe into the 80s. Um, but uh, from the parenting, I, I got much more interested in um, psychology, like what happens. But it was started through parenting and communication skills. And very, very slowly, over many, many years, my career morphed from teaching people how to read and how to understand and how to write into teaching parents how to communicate and then spouses. And it was very psychoeducational. And eventually, okay, it went into into um, therapy and counseling. I never planned to go this route. It just kind wow. of like happened like that. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Let's wrap it up with um, some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I give you an open-ended question and you uh, you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. Um, Santa, um, Sarah Hannah Radcliffe and I feel most spiritual when? All day, actually. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. I didn't I don't hear see. that one before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no special time. For me, I walk with Hashem. Hashem carries me, and that's how it goes. Amazing. Mm -hmm. My favorite mitzvah or one that I feel most connected to? You know, I, I don't really um, connect like that in using that word, but I'll say that one of my favorite mitzvahs is Shabbos. <laughs> okay, what a, it's mm -hmm. just the most amazing, amazing time in every way. I, I just love that one. It, it is. It is. Mm -hmm. And I guess, and I guess it relates to your work because it's really family time. It really, exactly. I mean, it is, it is the, is the, what do you call it? The crowning jewel of the Jewish home of, of what we have that other people don't have. When I tell my non-Jewish clients that, you know, we turn off all the devices for 25 hours and we sit and we play board games with each other and we talk over long meals, their mouths drop with, it's with envy. Such yeah. A gift it is yes. such a gift yes. and yes. it's so needed now more than ever in today's world but absolutely right but that's a separate show we're gonna have to okay. come and talk about that <laughs> yeah. my fondest sweetest jewish memory is so many things but i'll say that uh i remember the first time i went to israel i was already in my 40s and mm -hmm. i went with a um, women's mission with Lori plotnik who was during her early days of um women's renaissance missions yeah. and stuff yeah. So we went with about a hundred women and my, I just, that whole experience and particularly at the Kosel, I just, I just remember crying nonstop for 14 days. It was just like so amazing. I, that's just, that was the most, that was real highlight. It's but, yeah. very powerful. I have a friend who mm -hmm. went last year on the, uh, the Jewish, the women's renaissance group and uh, she just, it was just transformative. It was really yes. sounded amazing. Yes. Okay. Yes. When I give tzedakah, I like to give two. Anybody who needs it. I don't have a favorite. Good, good, good. Yeah. Something I wish I'd learned about Judaism growing up is? I don't know because I feel like I learned. The, my, my father taught me to have a relationship with Hashem. Like mm -hmm. he was 
Um, and I think that is the most important thing, always to turn to Hashem, to talk to Hashem, to uh, pour your heart out. And to me, that's the main point. I don't feel like I missed anything. Like, you know, in different Beautiful. points in life, I learned, you know, more halachas as I went along in life, lots mm-hmm. and lots of halachas endlessly. There's new ones every week, it seems, you know, but, right. um, but I think I got the main point from him. It's, it's so interesting that you mentioned it came from your father, because that's such a female, um, element of the relationship with God that 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 continuous dialogue that we're able to just kind of pray constantly which men don't necessarily have that in them so I know I mean I used to see my mother in the again we're talking about olden days here she was with the cushering meat all the time in the kitchen with that board and the the meats being salted yes in the olden days you know so she was living it but my father was more philosophical and uh, yeah he gave me that Okay, all right. And finally, I'm Sarah Hannah Radcliffe, and today I'm most graced, grateful for the opportunity that Hashem has given me to influence thousands and thousands of families, and I know it's generations and stuff. I, I'm so grateful to Hashem for that. I can't. That's just everything to me. And and you really do amazing, amazing work. And on that note, um, I want to encourage everybody to sign up to your daily parenting post because they're just wonderful. And they could go on dailyparentingpost.com, right? And get a daily parenting email. Is that right? Yes. So uh, there's an S on post. So it's a daily parenting post <laughs> with an S Oh, with it. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just a sign up page. And then they would get four times a week. We don't want to overwhelm anybody, mm-hmm. but it's Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays into their email. And that means they can easily find it and, you know, keep track of it. Uh, I do have similar things on a Facebook parenting page, but once they're gone, they're hard to find, you know, like if you read it today, that's great, but you'll never see it again. Right. Um, yeah. So the daily parenting posts have that advantage. And um, yes, I'm so excited. Like tens of thousands of people have signed up for that. And um, I'm thrilled with that. Yeah, it's amazing. And the, your Facebook page also has a tremendous following and I know it always turns into a great conversation because when you know you post there they're so it's so insightful and so practical and like I said at the beginning it kind of happens by that it comes yes. at the right time <laughs> right yes so whichever way a person wants to I mean I'm just thrilled to be able to disseminate which is now 40 years of experience in parenting education and stuff I want to give that over to everybody and um, yes, you know, just whatever way they can. And the little ebooks, little details, like we said, the clear method and stuff, I'm planning on putting a bunch of those things together and they will be available through the parent, daily parenting post, um, page. And so anybody who signed up will will know about the things that I'm putting out. Uh, just reach people in different ways. Yes. Amazing. So there you have it, ladies. Go sign up, dailyparentingpost.com. Uh, Sarah Hanna, thank you so much. You've been wonderful. We so appreciate you. You, it, it re, the, Your work is really amazing. You're a gift to, to the world, and, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much. It's been my great pleasure. Thanks again to Sarah Hanna Radcliffe for stopping by. The name of the book again is Make Yourself at Home, Family Life as a Key to Personal Growth. You can subscribe to Sarah Hanna's posts at dailyparentingposts.com and you can find her on Facebook at Sarah Hanna Radcliffe Parenting. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share it with all the Jewish women you love. Don't you want them to be in on a good thing? Come on, share it. Go ahead and tell them about it and help them click the subscribe button. And with that, till next time, have a great day. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. 
to access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.